Chapter 8 of What the White Race May Learn from the Indian by George Wharton James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 8 The Indian and Physical Labor. Ministers and orators, teachers and statesmen, members of the WCTU as well as the YMCA, of the white race, all profess to believe that the white race believes in the dignity of physical labor. That profession is often a lie. We no more believe in the dignity of physical labor than we do in the refinement of a hog. Our actions give the direct lie to our words. I am writing with the utmost calmness, and say these strong words with deliberate intent. As a nation, we are humbugs when we pretend to believe in the dignity of labor. Perhaps, after all, we do believe in it, but in most cases it is not for ourselves, but for the other fellow. On the other hand, the Indian really and truly believes in the dignity of physical labor. A chief would just as soon be caught dressing buckskin, or sewing a pair of moccasins, or irrigating his cornfield, as lolling on a Navajo blanket smoking the pipe of peace. With the white race this is not so. Men believe in the dignity of labor as much as they do in the brotherhood of man. They would no more be seen doing physical labor, wheeling a wheelbarrow, for instance, digging a ditch, building a wall, plowing a potato patch, or doing any other physical work, save the few things men are allowed to do without being thought peculiar, as, for instance, taking care of a small home garden, taking the ashes out of the furnace, and things of that kind, than they would be seen picking their neighbors' pockets or burglarizing their houses. When they want to gain exercise, they go to some indoor gymnasium where the air is the breathed-over dead air of a hundred people, and they swing dumbbells, pull on weights, struggle frantically on bars, and do other similar and fool-like things, because, forsooth, these things are gentlemanly. Or they go out and swing golf clubs and pursue a poor innocent little ball over the links, while gaping caddies look on at their wild strokes and listen to the insane profanity with which they try to compel themselves to believe that they are gentlemen by jove of all the contemptible shuffling and mean subterfuges the white race is capable of this seems to me to be about the meanest and most contemptible to pretend to believe in the dignity of labor and then at any and all opportunities afforded to labor to dodge away and do these useless and selfish things that do not take off one ounce of the burden of physical labor we have imposed upon our fellows let me not be thought for a moment to be opposed to any healthful recreation or sport if golf be pursued as a recreation for fun i am heartily in accord with it and its promoters it is when it is taken as an exercise, as a substitute for honest and useful labor, that I protest against it as a fraud, a delusion, a snare, and a contemptible subterfuge. 
if you want real exercise, real work, go and relieve some poor fellow man of his excess of hard work. Tell him you have come to give him an hour's rest, that he may go and study nature, go and look at the flowers of your garden, wander into the woods and hear the birds sing, or visit the public library and read some entertaining and instructive book. If you are too ashamed to openly try to give an hour or two of rest and change to your brother man, go and chop the wood for the house, dig up the potato patch, wheel out the manure from the stable, or do some other useful and beneficial thing. Pleasure is pleasure, sport is sport, fun is fun, but to engage in these sports seriously as a physical exercise to counteract the effects of your evil dietetic habits or other grossnesses is to add hypocrisy and subterfuge to evil living. What labor the Indian has to do, he does gladly, cheerfully, openly. He is not ashamed to have soiled hands or to be caught in the act. In this I am heartily in accord with him. If I ever wrote a creed, one of the first articles of my religion would be, I believe in the benefit and joy of physical labor. If I had my way, I would compel every member of the so-called learned professions, from preacher to lawyer, teacher and doctor, statesman, politician and bartender, to spend not less than three hours at hard physical labor every day, and as for my brother preachers, I would put them to road-making every Monday, for half the day at least, so that by practical knowledge of road-making on earth they might be better able to preach to their congregations the following Sunday about the road to heaven. There is nothing that more reveals that we are a people of caste and class than the attitude of the rich and the learned toward physical labor. I am not in sympathy with that attitude in any respect. I despise, hate, loathe it, and would see it changed. To the Indian, for his honest respect for and indulgence in physical labor, I give my adherence and honor. End of chapter 8